0: This
1: is Melissa Milner. Welcome to the Teacher As Podcast. The goal of this weekly podcast is to help you explore your passions and learn from others in education and beyond to better your teaching. The Teacher As Podcast will highlight innovative practices and uncommon parallels in education. In this episode, I have Pamela malkoff Hayes. And she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she's also a board-certified art therapist. And honestly, I'm more interested in the art part of this, but (laughs) I'm sure she'll tell us all about her world. Welcome, Pamela, to the Teacher As. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. I'm really
0: excited to be here. So what do you want the Teacher As listeners to know about you? I have been an art therapist for 30 years, which is crazy. (laughs) And what I want you to know is I still love my job after all that time. I am constantly like, this is what I get paid for. I get paid for, you know, to encourage people to make art and then making art with them or showing them how to make art and watching them feel better around it. So that's, that's what I do. That's incredible. Did you start out as an art therapist? I actually went to art school. I thought I was going to go into graphic design. And um, I got to art school. I went to um, Parsons School of Design in New York City. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> fancy. I know. And yeah, I totally thought I was going to go into graphic design. And I got there and I was like, I just want to paint and sculpt and make installations. And, uh, you know, and then I realized I wasn't going to make any money doing that. So (laughs) Yeah. So I actually had um, a really interesting um, introduction to art therapy. It happened early on, like when I was in high school, I had a really great art teacher, Mr. Hoffman. And Mr. Hoffman took our class to go see this gallery exhibit of People's paintings that were painting their migraine headaches. whoa, <laughs> yeah, I thought that's that's exactly right, right? I thought that's fascinating, right? They were like exploding heads and swirling heads. and I was just like, that is so interesting. Who would think to do that? and um, and then I kind of I guess I kind of filed that away for a while. I went off to art school and uh, and then, I was living in San Francisco, and actually my uh, sister's boyfriend at the time gave me a Christmas gift of a calendar. Melissa, do you, do you remember actual calendars? Yeah, <laughs> calendars, school yeah. calendars. <laughs> so he gave me a calendar that was produced from Napa State Psychiatric Hospital. I was living in San Francisco at the time, and Napa is just a, you know a little bit north of there. And these were all the artwork, paintings, drawings, sculptures, and stuff that were made by kids in this psychiatric hospital. Uh, And um, yeah, and I thought that was fascinating. That reminded me of the art exhibit with the exploding heads. And this is before the internet, you know? And so I literally called the number on the back of this calendar and got the woman who worked with these kids. And I said, I want to do what you do. What do you do? what is it called? That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. What is the job title? <laughs> right. What do you do? Because that's, that's my, my mission in life.
1: That's so cool that you were like, this is it. It came to you like that. Right. It was that moment. And the passion of art can bring people to so many different avenues. You could be an art teacher, but the, it the, the fact that you were drawn to dealing with pain and, you know, like a migraine headache or dealing with, you know, possibly mental illness or, or whatever. That's just, that's so cool. Yeah. Did you start with the art therapy or did you start with the marriage and family therapy or do you do both?
0: So actually simultaneous. Um, so, you know, I had, I had an undergraduate degree in art uh, in fine arts and then um, and so I started an art therapy program, a graduate program. And this program, which was in a school just north of, uh, sorry, just south of San Francisco. And they had a dual track. So you could get your marriage family, a master's in marriage family therapy and a master's in art therapy and so that allowed me to get the license because, unfortunately, art therapy is not a recognized license in a lot of the states.
1: Yeah, I noticed you said board certified,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: it's licensed. A, Interesting. Yeah,
0: it's unfortunate. Um, and we've been working for twenty years and trying to get it through Congress to be, you know, a, a recognized profession. And yeah definitely like more and more institutions and schools and hospitals are um, reaching out to art therapists, but um, I still need the license as a marriage family therapist to get paid by insurance.
1: Wow. I'm going to drop the bomb because I'm sure there's not one easy answer. What is art therapy?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. Okay. <laughs> let's see. Let's see if I can give you a the quick version, basically it's, it's the place where, where psychotherapy and traditional talk therapy and art come together. And so where in like a traditional therapy session, you'd come in, you'd sit down on the couch and you would talk to your therapist about your anxiety or your depression or your addiction or your relationship. I will have someone not only talk to me, but I'll also have them draw a picture about it or create a painting about it or make a sculpture about it. The thing is that, you know, we've been speaking, most people start speaking when they're two or three years old. So we're really good at censoring what we say as we say it most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But because most people don't have art as a language, you know, most people in general stop drawing uh, and making art in middle school because, you know, after that, it becomes a an elective, right? Yeah. So only certain people follow that path. And so most people stop drawing around age 10 or 11. And so a lot of things come out subconsciously in the artwork that that we just didn't know was there or we didn't know how to put it into words right i just (laughs) i'm just reminded of the scene
1: in the office when toby has to do a certain number of hours with michael scott because he you know did something wrong in the office and (laughs) and so and michael scott hates toby and bottom line is michael scott starts opening up with the picture and and Toby's asking him questions about the picture and Michael Scott's, And then Michael Scott looks at him and goes, hey, I know what you're doing. <laughs> but it really, it had come out, what he wasn't willing to
0: say had come out in his art. Right. It's a good cultural <laughs> reference, right? But yeah, it's, it's definitely true that, that things will come up a lot quicker in the artwork or things that will make connections between two seemingly unconnected things. And, and we'll be like, oh, maybe that's why I felt this way. And those kind of things are really powerful. But that's just one aspect of art therapy. I I really feel like there's multiple layers to it. So one is like really What is the image and the the symbolism of the actual artwork that you made? And what does it mean? But I think the process itself is very telling. If somebody is like, this is the most frustrating thing and I hate painting and and it's messy. I mean, that tells you a lot about who that person is. And it tells you about how they interact with life right now, I find that the way they respond to making artwork is oftentimes the way they respond to life. So if they're like, this is wonderful and relaxing, well, maybe they already do that in their life. Or if they're like, this is frustrating and I'm annoyed and I don't like being told what to do. You
1: You don't just do this with kids, right?
0: Art therapy is with adults as well. Right. I think that's one of the misnomers is that art therapy is really for kids, but I would say for the last 15 years, uh, I have really been exclusively working with adults. I don't work with kids at all anymore. And, That's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I actually love working with the adults because one, I love myself a metaphor and there's so many metaphors in the artwork and, you know, it's kids don't have depending on their age, but they, they don't understand metaphors in that same way. Um, but you know the um, the adults aren't as comfortable. They're self conscious. They're they don't want to make mistakes. They're perfectionists. It's causing them anxiety. And the, the other thing that I think is really powerful in the art therapy is when they're making something. When my clients are making something, and they start to feel frustrated or anxious about. It not coming out the way they want it to, opportunity for them to learn and practice tolerating frustration and disappointment. You know, life is about frustration and disappointment, and you know it's what we do with it. You know, I, I do a lot of work with uh, drug addicts, and you know when they start to feel frustrated or disappointed or any kind of feeling, they want to make it go away. So. They will drink or they will put a needle in their arm or take a pill um, so they don't have to feel. And then when they get sober, they have to learn to feel again.
1: Yeah. They have
0: to learn to tolerate feelings. So it's a good opportunity with low stakes. There's one more aspect of our therapy. It's really about getting lost in the process and really turning off a lot of the chatter that's in your head of all the things that have to get done and all the worries and all the disappointments. And because people aren't, most people aren't doing art on a regular basis, this is something where their brain has to be very present and focused. And you can just quiet that chatter for a little bit and um, get lost in the process. And it can be a really soothing activity. You
1: were talking about art therapy. And then I was wondering, Therapeutic art. The actual doing the art is what's calming and making you present. I can't, I don't know if you're into pottery, <laughs> but the great pottery throwdown, just watching them do the pottery is so satisfying and so relaxing. That's like the best show on TV to just unwind and relax at the end of the day. <laughs> And it's on HBO Max, I believe. And uh, have you watched it?
0: (laughs) I have not seen it. But now I'm like, I have to watch that now. That's better than the cooking shows. It's
1: amazing. Back to art therapy, the kid has been abused in the movie, and then they go to the office and and the 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 person has them draw a picture and that whole thing. <laughs> that is the whole Hollywood version of an art therapist. That is, that is. On a typical, you're saying, I, you don't even work with kids now, but on a typical day as an art therapist, is it in an office or is it in an art studio? Like how do you set up to allow for
0: this work? Well, that's, that's a good question. And I really think that it, it depends on the art therapist and what facility or capacity they're working in. I've worked in almost every possible scenario. I've been in, <laughs> I've worked in um, schools and private practice. I've worked in a prison. I've um, don- done online work. I've done uh, at like residential care, both for kids or for like um, sober living eating disorder clinics. Wow. So I, yeah, I, I've done a, in a lot of different settings. And so it's not most of the time for me, it's never been an art studio. Um, it's always been either an office that I have set up where I do have a table and we can make art in there or, a lot of the work that I've done in the last ten years has been going into, like I said, residential treatment programs, both for substance abuse and eating disorders. And and we're literally sitting at the dining room table of this residential home and covering it with, you know, plastic uh, garbage bags and and painting there. Right. I make the location work. <laughs> But I'm sure that there's some art therapists who have actual art studios that they have people come into. You mentioned you worked in schools. What did that look like? There was a couple of different things that I've done in schools where I would pull um, a child out of the classroom. Like if there was a child who was struggling with behavior or, you know, maybe they were on the autism spectrum or a little bit OCD. Um, so I would pull them out, take them into my office. We would do art there, and then they would go back to the classroom. But I've also run groups in schools, like social skills groups, and we use the art as a way to teach them how to interact with each other. Uh, like maybe they'll be working on a a collaborative project where they all have to work together and give each other permission, or ask questions, or listen. I think was it the puzzle activity that you shared with me that idea? Yes, that was super cool. So I, yeah, I I got one of those. Um, have you ever seen the, the just blank puzzles? Yeah. The big
1: size, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah. So I got a big one. I think it was like three feet by five feet. It's a big floor puzzle and it's just completely blank, completely white. And, um, and i had in one case i just drew some like i took some big platters or something and and dishes and drew some s- s- random circles on it and then took it apart so at least it had some kind of consistency to it but in other cases i have you know if i was working in a group i would say okay let's come up with a theme and maybe they'd say let's do an underwater theme and then i would you know draw some fish and octopus and boats and whatever. And, um, and then take it apart and they can work on that. But it's, it's so interesting because they can then work together. I mean, they can work separately on their, on their own individual pieces, and then they have to work together to put it back together. So that was neat. And there, there was one, I forget if I told you this, there, there was one where we had a boy who would just take a puzzle piece and he'd write his initials and maybe even a curse word on it and then toss it aside and pull another puzzle piece and write his initial. And so he was just going through piece after piece and not really putting any work into it. And, uh, and finally one little girl, she, she spoke up and she said, Hey, that's not fair. And I said, well, what's not fair. And she said, he's just, he's like using up all the pieces and I'm spending all this time on one piece and it's and the whole thing's going to look crappy when we're done. <laughs> and so I said, <laughs> I said, all right, let's all come together as a group. Let's problem solve. You know, what should we do? And maybe we should ask him why he's doing that. And maybe we should, you know, and and they they came up with a great solution. They let him keep one that was just the way he had done it. But they also made him go back and rework the other ones and add more to it and spend more time on each one. So that was, uh, that was a neat solution that they all came up with. And he agreed to it. You did it, you know peer pressure is is very powerful,
1: yeah, I mean, it's this idea of building community like at the beginning of the year. What a great idea. I did that once once you told me about it. I just went on Amazon and got the puzzle pieces, and it was the kids loved it.
0: Yeah, it's very fun, those are fun.
1: If you were a Gen ed classroom teacher but you had this passion and you had this experience with art therapy, how, when, if, would you use it? And what do you think about classroom teachers? What pieces of your work could they use in their classrooms?
0: Well, that's such a great question because, you know, I do a lot of lecturing and teaching and I oftentimes have art teachers, elementary school, middle school, high school teachers come to my lectures so that they can incorporate some of my. Um, techniques into their work and vice versa or conversely. I also follow a couple of art teachers on Instagram that I will oftentimes take their art projects and make them more therapeutic with my clients. So, So it goes both ways. So one of the things that you could do just in general, if you're making some art with the kids, whatever your lesson is, you could just ask afterwards, what was your experience of making this artwork? Were you, uh, did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Were you frustrated? Did you find yourself uh, calm and relaxed during it? So you could just have that sort of open-ended discussion about what that process was like for them.
1: That's a good point. Just talking about it. Yeah. Debriefing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I love the debrief. And, um, And then the other thing is, like I said, you can, you can point out to them, oh, I can see you're getting frustrated. Just kind of sit with that frustration for a little bit, but don't give up. Because if you give up right now and you walk away from this art project, then you're going to, that frustration is going to stay with you. But if you work through it, you probably get to a point where you're less frustrated and you'll feel better. So acknowledging what's going on for them right there. And that's really helpful.
1: Yes. Okay, let's switch gears. You are a school counselor, and you meet with one student at a time, or you have a lunch bunch with some kids. What types of techniques or projects might you do, or just have them draw? What What do you think you would do?
0: I think this happens more with adults than kids, but I will get this with middle schoolers and the high schoolers, where they'll be like, "Well, I can't draw. I I can't draw." all I can draw is a stick person. That's what I always hear. I can only draw a stick person. Right. And I'll be like, you know what, for, for so many years, I was like trying to encourage them. No, you could draw more, you know, try harder. And it finally occurred to me, just meet them where they're at. Right. And they tell me they can draw a stick person. All right, let them start. And then I go through this process where I tell them to add something. i will be like, now have your stick person holding something and then have your stick person standing on something and then have your stick person wearing something. And I go through uh, about, I don't know, six or eight different things. And by the end, they have a whole story. Yeah. And, and it's so fascinating because when I say, okay, tell me about your drawing, I would say like 75% of the time, Kids will start going, well, I am holding a flower and I am standing on a box and I am wearing a hat. And so th- without even saying this stick person is you, they've already identified it. And, and so it's already there. And I'll say, well, what is this? does this drawing? Tell me about you that I didn't already know.
1: Yeah. Right. I like that. What does it tell about you that I didn't already know?
0: And, and that's such a neat one. And then the other thing that I usually say is like, look at this. You told me you couldn't draw more than a stick person. And now you have this whole drawing in front of you. <laughs> like, how about that? And then I say to them, what else do you think you can't do? But you haven't been shown how to do. You haven't broken it down into simple doable steps or or you haven't tried yet imagine that
1: oh I love that you did mention just in general that you find projects online like you see something a teacher's doing and then you tweak it to make it therapeutic or I don't remember your exact wording but what are the steps to take just a regular art project okay at the end of the year we want our class to do a really cool mural That sort of maybe shows all the amazing experiences we've had this year. How do we take that and add a level of introspection and therapy into it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good question. In that case, I'll say, like, I would direct them to say, think about the colors that you choose and what those colors mean to you. You know, everybody has different meanings or different memories around colors, shapes and symbols. And, oh, I see you drew like three flowers, three, an important number to you. So you can ask questions like that, but to create something that is therapeutic, you can say, I want you to think about what you want to leave for the next people to see, what is important about you that you want to share? Because really that's what we're here on this earth to do is to share ourselves with other people in positive ways. Right. And you, you have this opportunity to leave something in this mural that is uniquely you. What do you want other people to know about you?
1: All right. I have, I wrote it all down. I like the colors too. Cause you know, for some kids, they really do. They're like, this is my color. This is my color. And I, I never think to say,
0: why? <laughs> right. And sometimes we'll do it like a free association. I'll be like, tell me five things that, that are purple or remind you of purple, you know, and, and you'll get some really interesting, really interesting answers. And I, because I, I never make assumptions about colors. I just always ask, tell me about that tell me about that color choice. Yeah. One of the things that I sometimes do is after I've worked with somebody for a while and and we've sort of gotten past whatever problem or obstacle that we were working on in therapy is at the end, I'll have them make a flag to represent their healthy state of being. And so we usually do that as a collage cut, um, colored paper out and I said, while you're making this flag think about the colors you want to use that's going to represent your healthy state of being. Think about the symbols, the shapes, how many of those shapes you want because you know if you look at the American flag, there's 13 stripes, there's 50 stars they all have meaning why those are there. so it's it's really fascinating to see what people come up with with that one. Oh, I love that as an end of the year too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Fantastic. Or a beginning of the year. Yeah, Yeah. I actually
0: have them write their declaration of independence as well, Um, (laughs) which is kind of fun.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. Um, What are you zooming in on right now in your work?
0: Zooming in. Most of the work that I do right now, honestly, is anxiety. Oh, my God, we have all been through, uh, you know, a couple of crazy years. And yeah, yeah. So I would say that the majority of the work that I'm doing with people is about just identifying their anxiety and their fears, and um, confronting them talking to that to those fears. Sometimes I'll have people draw their fear as a monster. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really good one. Draw your fear as a monster. And then I'll ask, like, if you were standing next to this monster, how big would you be? So you can get a sense of like how overwhelming this fear is. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And then I actually have them have a conversation with the monster where they ask the monster, you know, what do you want? And then the monster says, you know, I, I, I want to whatever. So I have them start off with asking the monster what you want and have them go through a whole conversation and then end the conversation by saying, you know what? I hear you and I see you, but you don't get to control me.
1: Yep. I read so many books on treating anxiety and it really basically all comes down to what you've just said. You need to talk to your fear, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Because a lot of parents and teachers and we're like, oh, what's the worst could happen? Don't worry about it. And it's like, no, we, we need to acknowledge that the fear is there and have the child acknowledge that the fear is there and name it and talk to it. And yeah, say, I got this. I don't need
0: to be worrying about this. You know, I think it's much more important to like integrate your fears. And like you said, acknowledge them as opposed to like downplay them. Um, or, or worse even so is to uh, give the fear a lot of space. Cause I, I really think of anxiety, kind of like a gas, like the more space you give it, the more it will expand to fill that space. And so you just got to keep it contained. (laughs) So
1: when you say integrate, what does that mean?
0: In this instance, what I, what I would do is like, if, If we're working with drawing their fear monster or creating it out of clay, I've done that too, making friends with it and allowing it to have a voice and allowing it to say, I'm scared to go into the ocean. And we're like, okay, that's okay. But it doesn't mean we're not going to do it. So I, I, I also think of fear. See, I told you, I love a metaphor. Um, I think of fear as like a little kid having a tantrum, right? And wants to get your attention, the fear and the anxiety, they want to get your attention. And the more you ignore it, the louder it gets. But if you look at that fear and you say, okay, what do you want? What do you need from me right now? And you give it some some time to let it have its say. And they're like, okay, well, I can give you this, but I'm not going to give you that, (laughs) right?
1: Right. The anxiety, I totally get that. And then before I ask the last couple of things, you know, I've gone through a very tragic time with my husband passing in February. Do you do a lot of work with people who are grieving?
0: I have done a good deal of work with people with loss and grief, not just death, which I have worked with, but also, um, you know, when I was working in the foster care system and in the prison system. Dealing with people who have lost their children because of their parental rights have been taken away. People, you know, loss from divorce, yes. loss from yeah. you know um, natural disasters, things like that. So yeah, um, one of the interesting things that I'll do, and uh, you know, you you can try this. There's a really interesting technique called the Soul Collage. S O U L. That was originally created by a woman named Sina Frost. And uh, she has a great book out called The Soul Collage. (laughs) And what I've done is had people bring in a picture of their loved one and actually cut that person out of whatever environment they were in, in that picture. Let's say, you know, they were sitting in an armchair um, in the living room, right? And so I actually have them cut that person out of the living room and then place them into. A new environment mm-hmm. and then add other things that they either remind them of that person or maybe you want to give to that person. And so that you can this idea of this person is still a part of us, they're still with us, but they're in a different realm. They're in a different environment. We can' we're not going to see them sitting in the armchair in our living room anymore, but I can see them, in my dreams and I can see them when I speak to them and when I'm in the shower and and eat their favorite meal with them, you know?
1: Yeah. It's a physical way of showing that you're accepting that this person's not here anymore. Right.
0: Yeah. It's it's definitely um, a very physical shift of where they were and how we thought of them to where they are and how we think of them now after hearing this, everybody's
1: going to want to reach out to you. So how, <laughs> how, how can people reach you to hear more about your work?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, I'm very reachable. Uh, you, just, you just have to look. Everything's under Hayes Art Therapy. So H-A-Y-E-S Art Therapy. So that's my website, hayesarttherapy.com that's my Facebook page. That's my LinkedIn. That's, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but my, um, my, my Instagram is actually something sketchy, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. <laughs> yes. And I've been enjoying
1: your little, your little videos that you do.
0: Yes. And I've just started making these, um, you've probably seen these on my, my, uh, Facebook or my like, Instagram. these little, um, cartoons of myself. Cause I feel like there's, there's moments in life that we just can't catch in a selfie or in a photograph, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I was, I think tonight I'm going to sit down and draw a, uh, a cartoon of myself for the, um, for pride month. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That was, that's my project for tonight. That's
1: fantastic. The last question, and this is in my mind, this is my version of art therapy. It's movie therapy. What is your favorite movie and why? Oh
0: my God. Such a good question. I would have to say the movie that I've watched the most is probably back to the future. Aww, that's <laughs> such a good movie. I know. I, I just love this idea. Um, I don't know. There's just so many layers to it. And especially like the second one is so good because there's so many layers to it. I don't really have a good reason why. I just love it.
1: It's just fun. It's definitely rewatchable. Yes. Yeah. What's your favorite movie? My favorite movie is Jaws. Very different. I mean, I have a zillion I have a zillion favorite movies, but um, Jaws because I also am the fan of a metaphor. There's a lot of metaphors in that movie and it was one of my favorite childhood movies, even though it scared the pants off of me. <laughs> yeah, but you know, as an adult, you know watching it, the, in- the incredible acting, the music, you know once they're on that boat, it, I mean, they all should have gotten Academy Awards. It's so good, it's so yeah, good,
0: right? Uh,
1: I, yeah, yeah, so that's that's my favorite. But I mean, I have so many, you know, Shawshank Redemption is just amazing.
0: See, it's another one with a lot of layers to it that you could watch yes. over and over again.
1: I also have you ever seen Magnolia?
0: Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. That one you have to see multiple times to understand
1: what the
0: heck's going
1: on. Yeah. And and the hours, I mean, you know, I can go deep into the drama, but then I also love Beverly Hills cop is one of my favorite movies. (laughs) I love that movie. Oh my goodness. So, all right. So thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me. And I, I do think that educators, I hope get a lot out of this because it really gets my mind really reeling of, of you know, ways to just incorporate some of your simple questions and simple ways of just asking a child about their art. It's just amazing. So thank you so much. Oh,
0: thank you. That was uh, awesome. That was a lot of fun.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and have not done so already, please hit the subscribe button for the Teacher As podcast so you can get future episodes. I would love for you to leave a review. And a rating as well, if you have time. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher Teacheraz Facebook page for episode updates. I am sending a special thanks to Linda and Lester Fleischman, my mom and dad, for being so supportive. They are the voices you hear in the Zooming In soundbite. And my dad composed and performed the background music you are listening to right now. My intro music was Upbeat Party by Scott Holmes. So what are you Zooming In on? I would love to hear from you. My hope is that we all share what we are doing in the classroom in order to teach, remind, affirm, and inspire each other. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.